G'day, and thanks for tuning in to Eddie Thing Goes. I'm your host, Edwina Robertson, aka Eddie, and this show is brought to you with the intention of sharing interesting stories, experiences, and conversations from, well, mostly normal people. In this episode, the names have been changed for privacy purposes. Welcome, Cameron. Thanks for having me, Eddie. I'm somewhat nervous or reluctant to be here, but sure. <laughs> Look, you, you're here on your own accord, <laughs> but you do have quite an interesting story. It's a very personal story. I know a tiny little bit about it, but don't know the in-depth, but I think this is a story that other people will be able to relate to. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's well, since going through that story, I think I've found that it's more commonplace than you realise. So, yeah, definitely could strike a chord with a few people for sure. Who are you, Cameron? Where do you live? What do you do? What does your family look like? So, yeah, I'm a chippy from the north coast of New South Wales. been doing that for about 10 years. Yeah, I've got quite a big extended family. I've got two sisters. You single? Single, still flying solo. What's your story, Cameron? What What is it that you would like to share? What's What's happened in your life? <laughs> <laughs> I was living a pretty regular, normal life, and I still am. Yeah, a few years ago, I got engaged to uh, my partner of three or four years and um, got married, started 2019, six weeks later at basically all came crashing down. So before, before we get into that story, Cameron, tell me about so you've been dating for three and a half, four years prior to getting married. And how was how was the dating period of your relationship? Great. I guess as this story progresses, I worked out that it wasn't what I thought. But at the time it was a standard relationship as I thought and and it was great. Uh, we had a lot of fun. But I I guess Looking back and in hindsight, there were definitely flags that, that I now particularly I would definitely pick up on. So it was great fun. We had, you know, her family was really great. We all got along. The big flags for me still is, is that we'd never had a fight. We'd never had an argument, which I thought was fantastic. I thought I was absolutely unbelievable this whole dating thing. <laughs> Turns out you need to air your grievances in a relationship. So but like I said, it was a it was a pretty standard sort of a relationship. You obviously went and dropped on a knee, put a ring on it. Had you been speaking about getting married prior to doing that or was that a surprise to her? Was it something you'd spoken about, you know, let's take our relationship further? We'd had no, we had spoken about it, but not in such a concrete context. It would come up in conversation every now and again, as it does in most relationships. But when I did propose it was quite a surprise, yeah. So you get married. Did you go have a have like a normal wedding or did you elope or what was your wedding day like? No, pretty normal sort of a wedding, about 120, 130 people. Uh, at a big property, an outdoor wedding, so it was um it was good fun. Really good fun mm-hmm. wedding. Did you head on a honeymoon after? Well you went to the north of Australia and uh for yeah. about a week, I think. Um mm-hmm. yeah, which was great fun. So everything was all hunky dory. Well, as far as I was aware. <laughs> so um Okay. Until six weeks after your wedding day. I'd never felt the need to not trust my partner. So I'd, I'd never felt the need to ever check phones or in that relationship. And then at about that six-week mark, there was a day where my good friend had come down to visit and it was really, really weird. So you could have cut the air with a knife. And that was a male friend? Yes. What's his name? 
Uh, his name is Steve. Yes, and your then wife's name is Sarah. You and Sarah are there. Steve rocks up to your house. Why? What was the purpose of his visit? Just to come and catch up? We we're very close workmates. It was just a drop in, I guess, mm-hmm. um, to say you know say good day like we would any other time. So he dropped in there, and yeah, it was. I don't know what it was. It was an alarm bell rang. It was. It was like he could cut the air with a knife between the mm-hmm. two. And it didn't really cross my mind that anything then in particular was wrong. So I um, I think I noticed her not long after that with a phone and something said, obviously there's a thought in the back of your mind, let's, let's just clear it. Let's get, you know, let's clear that from the equation because I've had, in a previous relationship, I'd had incidences of, of finding um, text messages before. And so, you know, I was quite keen to, to never ever go down that path again. But I thought, you know what, in the previous relationship, I didn't do anything about it. I never, um, I just tried to put it in the back of my mind, which wasn't a great thing at the time. So I thought to myself, you know, what, I'll just put this to bed. And so, yeah, I signed into the, um, to the, the account and found, uh, yeah, found these messages, which weren't explicit by any means, but there was, quite obviously something that had been going on and been going on for quite some time. Between Sarah and Steve? Yes. Okay. So what was your first thought when you saw these messages? I can tell you exactly where I was. I can tell you exactly how I thought or what I was thinking. And the emotional reaction to it was something that I'd never, ever, ever experienced in my life. I mean, I'd lost loved ones in my family before and the emotional reaction that I got out of that was far and away the worst thing that I've I've ever experienced. It was like, I know this is a bit of a cliche, but it honestly feels like your world just starts to fall around you. Like it start like you can feel everything. And I, I just went weak at the knees. I went, I could barely breathe. And I like, and so the messages were obvious enough to, to know that something wasn't right. And I go back to that previous relationship where I'd done nothing about it. And I thought to myself that I'd, I'd never do nothing about it again. And so I was away from the house at that point. And I just decided I'd have to go and, I'm going to have to go and confront this, even in the state that I was in. So, okay. So you chose to confront Sarah other than Steve? Because obviously, you you know, it's your wife and one of your best mates. Yeah. So it was Sarah that you wanted to confront once you found out this information? Straight away and it was it was instant. So straight home and um, I just ran inside with my phone. I said, what the fuck is this? And That's a pretty reasonable response. <laughs> yeah. I remember it clearly and, and showed her the phone and the look or the – the reaction that I got, like it, it was quite haunting as well. Where the head went down, and um, you know, the the first question wasn't you know an admission, but it was how did you get that? And and we just got the uh, the how did you get? It? I said I signed into your account, and then Sarah came out with it that she'd been having feelings for Steve, and it just oh, I just couldn't believe like, I couldn't believe it once. The shock wore off. I was just so confused. I mean, we'd been married six weeks and, and it was so sudden. It was just insane. And so from then on in, the next week was just a blur pretty much. It was survival mode. It was trying to work things out. It was 
Yeah, it was everything because I obviously straight after that I I did I, I rang Steve and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? What was his response? Complete denial. You know, no, we're just we're just mates. Like we're just joking around. The text messages weren't anything. It was just we're joking around, and it was just from then on. From then for the next couple of months, all I got was denial and got no answers out of it whatsoever. So. Do you think they had been intimate to that point or was it just flirtation? Was it just exchange of, you know, text messages where they catch? Do you think they were physically catching up and being intimate? It's not an answer I ever got, I guess. What did your gut say? Um, my, gut, say? my gut at the time said I believe they were because, in the, you know, in the ensuing couple of weeks then more and more evidence started coming out um, where she was at his house till four in the morning one morning and tried to deny where she was and things like that. So there was evidence of that. And so it was just, it was difficult. I think that was the hardest part was not getting answers, I, I think, to something that you knew. But at the same time, I didn't realise, and this is where the story sort of twists and turns a little bit, my really good mates had been holding onto something since the wedding night that they thought they saw the two. Well, I didn't think they did see them acting up together. You know, late on the wedding night, not at your wedding. At no the wedding, wedding, yeah, definitely not doing anything inconceivable, but something that was very weird and and, and behaviour that wasn't wasn't right. So, on top of me finding all this out, I then have my mates going, "Yeah, we've been holding on to this," and it was just compounding and compounding and compounding. So, I guess part of this story is the reason I do tell people is because you do. You think at the time, and I definitely thought at the time for a long time, at two, you know, nearly two years, that it just doesn't ever get any better. Um, you don't, you don't ever get the answers, and you don't, you know, you, you just think you won't recover from it. But it, it does turn around eventually. So, can we track back a little bit? Sure. Do we know how long this was going on between them before you got married? It's another thing I never got the answer to. Okay. The answer I got was two weeks. Um, <laughs> so no, no, I never got the, uh, I, I never got, but I mean, that's, yeah, how long is a piece of string, I guess. How long did the messages go back? Or I guess because you'd been in a relationship with her for four years, sort of at that stage or three and a half, four years, and you'd been friends with him for a while, it may have been technically very friendly, very sort of mutual, not, you know, just, just a mate. So the messages and conversations were deleted. Up until that day. Ah, oh, right. So <laughs> yes. there was something to hide. Yeah, and 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 that formed part of the whole the spiral, I guess. Because you get no answers, you you start to really, really go insane with um, with scenarios in your head, and your mind will make up a scenario based on the evidence that you have. But then the other part of your mind will go absolutely nuts either trying to disprove that or prove it so you get an answer. And so you get two conflicting sides of your mind that just go nuts at each other. Won't, they won't allow you to sleep. The hardest part is you, you need answers. You need to know what's going on. When you don't get the truth given to you but you have all this evidence, it just compounds the situation so much more. Yeah. So you found out six weeks after your wedding, Sarah and your mate Steve are having these conversations behind your back, clearly hiding something because it's getting deleted. You don't delete something unless you you want it to be hidden, right? You don't delete it unless you don't want people to know. No, that's right. So obviously something was a bit sinister there. 
how long after you found out did you stay in that relationship with Sarah? Uh, I think we tried to make it work for a week or so, but it just wasn't ever going to work for that. And I think it must have been two to three weeks after that we officially called it, which was hard, but I knew at the time that that's what I needed to do. Like, There's no sort of coming back from that after six weeks of marriage. I, I think if you're not committed after six weeks of marriage, then there's no point being there. I, I, I got a lot of advice. You know, I had a lot of advice from my family saying you can work it out, like marriage counselling and, and things like that, which I considered at the time. I, I guess I did that as a just to fill time, but in the back of my mind, I knew I never wanted it to, to work, um, just given I was so hurt by it. So There's a huge level of betrayal there. Oh, the betrayals, yeah. But not only by your wife, but by your friend, you know, like huge level. Okay, did she try and fight for the relationship? Did she try and say she was going to, you know, amend the situation? What, Or was she kind of just going, yeah, pretty much out anyway? Like what what was her response to, to all this coming out? How did she behave once she was found out? Confusion. So there was no fight for the... For the relationship, I guess there was no fight for it, but there was confusion where she couldn't work out why she'd gone this way. And so she felt like she didn't know whether she was making a mistake. And there was no, look, I'm really sorry I stuffed up, that kind of thing. I think that's what cemented my decision that it was not going to work. So, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think that ship had sailed. And Sounds like her morals were confused as well. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> you know, to be confused about that, like I guess how is someone supposed to react six weeks after their wedding when they find their their new husband or wife is, is cheating on them? How are they supposed to react? Like, you know, like it's a – I think it's a very reasonable response you had to finding out that kind of information. Oh, I think, yeah, definitely. I, I, I challenge anyone – not to have a, an emotional response like that, given the situation. Where the story changed for me was was the recovery from it, I guess. Um, yeah, please, elaborate. So when, you, when you're in that situation, when, you, when, you, when you're thrust into this just completely unfamiliar situation, so obviously I'd never experienced anything like that before. As I said, you know, I'd, I'd lost family members before. I never knew anyone that was in that situation before. It's all foreign. And so you're looking for the magic pill, I guess. And I'd spoke to a GP and, and I remember that clearly the GP saying, look, everyone comes in when they're going through these situations and they, they just want a magic pill that makes it all stop hurting. And so I was just desperate for that magic pill, you know, because I couldn't sleep. So it was a vicious cycle of, Waking up in an, in the most horrible mood and then spending all day, every day at work with him, by the way, who was still at work. Um, we were work colleagues. So I was going to work. I'd be facing that and then trying to digest the information again and trying to, my brain was still doing what I was saying before, trying to put information together, trying to get the answers. I'd wake up, go through that. I'd finish work. I'd go to the pub, get blind just to try and numb it which then made nightmares and things 
absolutely horrible. So no sleep whatsoever. And that compounded to the next morning when you'd wake up hungover and in the worst mood ever and you'd go to work and then you get to try and do and it was just compounding and compounding and compounding and it was it was horrible and, and so I, I was always after this I, I say magic pill, I don't mean it I don't mean that literally, I mean that metaphorically. I, I wanted to know what I had to do to, to get better. I wanted to know basically I'd had my whole life ripped from me. I wanted to get my life back and I didn't realise that until months afterwards but I didn't know how I was going to do it and that's quite scary it's quite scary being in a situation where you are you don't know your next move it wasn't until my one of my sisters had a a really good friend of hers she's a very smart lady and now an, an unbelievably good friend but we we caught up and and she's a friend of my sister's and she said look I'm willing to help you out like I I deal with this kind of thing a fair bit in her line of work and so she began helping me out and it was just text messages. It was tools to help me try and cope. And, and we're talking early days here. We're talking only a couple of months afterwards. And I was so desperate to get rid of this pain that I, I started taking these tools. And we're talking about self-help podcasts. We're talking about movies that try and give you the answer. And at the time, I just thought it was all gobbledygook. I um. I didn't think any of it made much sense, but it began to, in a very small way, open your eyes. I think if you trust that you want something to work, then started listening to a lot of these help podcasts, and I guess I was starting to formulate a plan of how I needed to get out of this, and um, at the same time as well, it was when I, a really good mate of mine, um, you know, I was down the dumps, and he said, look, come to the gym. He said, just come to the gym and have 40 minutes with us like that. And I thought, you know what, stuff it. I'll, I'll go down there. I'll go to the gym. I was always a healthy person. I was never a gym rat by any means. I was never – then I thought, stuff it, you know what. So anyway, I got down to the gym and realized that just absolutely exhausting yourself made you feel a tiny bit better. <laughs> and so I started doing that more often and then it became daily where it was still painful. The whole situation was still painful, but you were able to channel your energy into something rather than just channeling it towards trying to find answers. Tell me, how was it working with Steve every like at work? How was it working with him? Did you see him every day? Did you avoid him? Was it awkward? Did you pretend nothing had happened? What was that connection like? Horrendous. <laughs> In a word, horrendous. Uh, definitely awkward. It was a situation where everyone else was awkward as well, so no one wanted to confront the whole elephant in the room, I guess. So it was often ignored and I needed Do you guys out. still work together? No. He parted ways with the building company we're at um, at the end of that year, So, which was huge for me because not long after that they were they were ended up in a relationship, which is really hard. So no, we, we Are don't. they still together now? Yes. Are they married or? I don't really know. I know they've got a young family, so. Oh, yeah, they've got had kids. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I had to get to a point where I didn't want to feel resentment anymore. So, and, and that's where I, I ended up getting to with um, my sister's friend. I think I still remember the quote that always still stands out with me is um, holding on to resentment is like 
drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And it couldn't be more true. It could not be more true because I'd, I'm not a, I'm not a hateful person. And, and this was the first time I'd actually felt genuine hate. And it's the worst feeling in the world. I don't wish that on any person in the world to feel hate towards you. And that's one of the first things I asked my sister's friend. I asked her about forgiveness and what that meant. And she sort of chuckled because she said, you're looking at forgiveness in the wrong way. You're looking at forgiveness as it, as the magic pill that you want to be able to just say, look, it was horrible, yada, 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 but, you know, I forgive you and let's go camping every weekend and you get over it. And I did think about that, but she said, forgiveness is definitely the answer. She said, it is your magic pill, but she said, you have got to find actual forgiveness. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. And it's not so much for the other person, right? The forgiveness isn't for them. It's so you can move on. Spot on, Eddie. And it took me over two years to get to that point. So after about a year and a half, I think I thought I did, but it was me forcing it. The story of me, it was literally a moment in time where I knew I'd found forgiveness. And again, like you just mentioned, I think people think forgiveness is letting the other people who've wronged you or, or done something to you off the hook. Yep. And it's it's not. It's so it's so not that. It is letting you off the hook because I didn't have I'd, I'd lost, you know, my life figuratively, obviously. And I wanted to get that back. And I still remember them. I can tell you the the moment that I got it back was and it's it was crazy, but I went to a birthday party of um, a mutual friend of mine and Sarah's and um, and this was quite some time afterwards. I can't quite remember. It must have been nothing, nearly, nearly two years. And we went to the party and, and I said g'day and it was quite obvious that she was pregnant. And that was my biggest fear. At the time, I thought I'd got over most of everything else, but I didn't know how I was going to react when I found out that they were having a kid or a, a child. And I just remember standing there at the party. I didn't really react in any way, shape or form. And we had, you know, a bit of a night out. The next morning I woke up and my first thought was, I can't ever wish any anything bad upon a, a kid. And then all of this stuff started flooding in. I'm like, who am I to judge? And this is all coupled with um, the, the stuff I was learning with podcasts. But I'm like, who am I to judge? of who wants to be together. Okay, yeah, I'm not condoning how that went down or what happened, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to wish anything bad on a, on a child who deserves to have a loving family and, and loving parents and to be together and, and a happy home. And it was like the weight of the world of the last two years literally just lifted off my shoulders. It was insane. And... I can remember just laying there going, God, like I, it was like my, someone had just sat off my chest. And so I'm like, and I knew straight away, I knew I'm like, this is proper forgiveness. Again, I wasn't condoning what had happened, but I genuinely wanted them to actually be happy and, and do the right thing by their family. And it was insane. Out of that, I'm like, instantly I got my life back. I was happy again. I wasn't thinking about that from, I can tell you now, from... That moment on, I'd had a, for the, the two years, nearly two years previous to that, I'd had a nightmare about that situation every single night. From the, that date to now, 
I've not had one dream, one nightmare about the whole situation. Mm. Yeah, so it was true forgiveness. It was. And it's amazing. I think it's absolutely beautiful, Cameron, that you really, you took, I guess, almost your, not to say you weren't the victim because, you know, that was a terrible thing to, to go through, but you almost took that sort of why me, why has this happened out of the situation and you've seen it for what it is because it wasn't going to change. She was Your relationship was never going to be the same again. You were never going to have your marriage again. You know, that had all ended. Yeah. But and I think giving the well wishes and almost like the blessing for them to – to have that child and for that child to be happy, I think that is the most beautiful and selfless and so self-aware. And I think you are spot on saying that is ultimate forgiveness because ultimately they are happy now. Absolutely. And it's a shame that it went down that way, you know, if they couldn't be adults and have the real – like it would have been – regardless, it would have been a hard conversation how it was done. Absolutely. And and – I mean, who is anyone to say how someone should live their life or, or how someone should be happy? I mean, obviously, yeah, I would have much preferred it go down a different way. But looking back, I know they didn't do it deliberately. And I know you probably can't help who you fall in love with. I, I spoke about it at the, at the start of the podcast, um, the, the red flags that were in our relationship. And we had terrible communication on both sides. We didn't communicate well enough at all. So. I was doing things that, you know, were obviously upsetting with Sarah, but I was getting no feedback from that. And so I'm thinking I'm doing a really good job. And so when I always tell this story, I always get people saying, oh, you know, you can't blame yourself. Like what, what she did was absolutely horrible. And, and I can tell you that's rubbish. Yeah, what she did was horrible. But if you can't accept your part in any situation, then you completely close the door to any self-growth. If I just sat there and said, you know what, I was completely hard done by, this was stuff that I was, did nothing wrong, we never fought or anything like that, I wouldn't learn a thing. I wouldn't have learned a thing. I wouldn't be able to take that into my next relationship. And so I, I do in a way feel bad because of the way I behaved in those first couple of months. But I just know looking back on it, it's so much better for your mental health and your personal growth if you can accept the part when none of us are perfect, but the part you play and that contributes to your personal growth in a huge way. And it has done since for everything. It doesn't have to be in relationships, for your work life, for communicating with friends, for talking to strangers. Um, it's huge. And what I've learned, I wouldn't change a thing, you know. That's beautiful. What a beautiful result for a very hard and hurtful and traumatic time. Absolutely. Because that is something, uh, you know, have you had any serious relationships since the breakdown of your marriage? So I tried dating pretty soon afterwards. Oh, yeah. Um, How'd that go down? Did not go well. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I you know, and I think, you, you know, you're looking for answers and you're looking for – but, yeah, I was not in a great headspace. And I think I'd had – Dated very, and when I'm not talking months, we're talking six, seven weeks. Two other girls in the period between when I my brain had broken down and that that two year period I was talking about forgiveness period. I was not mentally equipped to to do it. I thought I was, but I would get in, walls would just shoot straight up. Wasn't able to 
to do anything. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not going to push this anymore. I've got to find something. And, and since then, I guess an, another thing you learn is probably your self-worth. I, I think I'm not going to force, and I get pressure. At some point, you just, you're like, I've got family saying, oh, Cameron, you're going to, you're fine someone and, and everything like that and and I I'm just it's not that I don't want to I'm just not going to I'm not willing to go through that kind of emotional trauma again so I'm I'm going to make sure it's the right person and be quite picky about it picky in a way that you're not picking on personal attributes of the person or anything like that picky in a way that I really believe if it's meant to be that person will be with you and and so I'm I guess just waiting for that moment or that point in time when when that happens. Um, I'm not putting any pressure on myself there. Do you think you can open your heart again? Oh, definitely. Yeah, like I say, I, and I want to. It's just going to be a um, with the right person and, and not taking no for an answer. I guess. Mm. Have you had periods since this incident where you've? blamed yourself do you do you hold a grudge against yourself at all definitely not mm. um definitely not because no one's perfect um mm. i was able to accept my role in it and i don't blame myself i accept my part so i guess if you understand that the difference between the the two i think if you mm. put the blame on yourself you are you know i think that's in a negative light mm. and i try not to be in negative like that and and that as you were saying before it transposes over to other aspects of your life your friendships friend relationships mm-hmm. with your family just talking to anyone talking talking to listen rather than to respond um things like that that it's huge for the for your everyday life so no mm-hmm. i don't i don't blame myself but i'm i'm comfortable with my part as we were talking about before when I said, um, you know, I'd woken up that morning and I'd, I'd, the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders, it was not long after that. We actually had, I had to work with Steve again. It was another job for another company. We were working together and I knew he was there and I thought, you know what, I'd been so happy and I thought to myself, this is a test. If you've truly forgiven him, you're able to talk to him. All the, um, the guys were going to the pub. We, I knew he was going to be there and I walked in sat down and we had a beer. I said, g'day. And, um, you know, dinner was had, heap of beers were had. And at, <laughs> funny thing, at the end of the night, it was only me and him at the pub left. And we sat down and had a yarn. And I actually remember I just said to him, I said, look, mate, what happened was really shit house. You know, obviously I wasn't uh, happy with the way it all went down. But I said to him, I, I couldn't wish anything bad on anyone now after what I've learned. And I congratulated him. I said, look, mate, you're about to have a family. I congratulated him. Um, I said I'm genuinely, and I and I am genuinely happy for them. I don't say that lightly. I am genuinely happy for them. And his response was, I, obviously, he was not expecting that. Um, mm. But I think I've I've had people like people ask me what was his response like. I said, well, he did get emotional and and teary and people's the next question is you know I bet that felt good and I'm like well no definitely not I, I, I wasn't going there to tell him that to gain that response mm. I genuinely am happy for them the biggest thing I've learned in, in this whole thing it doesn't matter 
what your situation is where you've either been betrayed or, or wronged or anything like that, resentment is absolutely poison. And you see it, I see it in families, I see it particularly in farming families where siblings will fight over money and the farm property and, and, and they will hold that resentment until the day they die and it is such a handbrake on your life. It, it's huge. Like if you can learn to let let anything go because you can't change it. When I was sitting back at the pub just being so furious and so angry and like converging all my energy into hating the, um, Steve and Sarah, they're not sitting back at home going, oh, shit, Cameron's over there, buddy. Hating on us. <laughs> they're moving on with their life. So there's absolutely no point. It is absolutely pointless to hold on to any resentment in any situation, whether it's a fight with your family, whether it's someone that cut you off in traffic, whether it's anything like that. Because how many, how much energy does it take out of your day to hate someone? A lot. It's huge. And, and it's quite the contrary to wake up happy every day and to not have that feeling is ridiculously good for your mental health. And so I do, I still get. Concerns, because I mean, um, my family, like, they're, you know, I, I even had, you know, one of my cousins say, oh, it's good to, it's good to bloody hate someone or so. It was in a conversation about, um, family members. And it was that point I said, mate, you can't, you, you just can't live like that. I said, you, you cannot hold on to resentment for something anyone's done. And I 100% guarantee you, if, if anyone was to ever let, just truly let go of something that was bothering them, it would be, it's, it's an incredible feeling. When I came on here, I honestly, I've had this conversation with a fair few people and the reaction is always, my God, Cameron, what you've, <laughs> what you've done there is incredible. And, and I see reactions from people and I thought the idea of forgiveness is incredible if you can do it. Yeah, that is so phenomenal. You know, they talk about peace. You hear this, what's peace? Peace is being able to kind of live in the now, to let go of things. And I think that's the closest thing to being at peace, what you've done and, and how you've been able to let that go, not for them, but for yourself and you wish them well and you're happy for them. And I think actually even going forward in, in your future relationship or relationships, you're going to make one hell of a partner, Cameron. You're going to make one hell of a partner because you have all this beautiful self-awareness and you've gone through such a terribly heartbreaking scenario, but you've come out better for it. So, ladies, <laughs> if you want his details, I can hand him out because he's good to go. <laughs> uh, look, thanks, Eddie. Um, I do do a lot of reflecting on it. I guess one thing, looking back on how you are, not that I, not that I blame myself for reacting like this, but I do, I, I, I do regret the way I behaved. In that period of time, after you found out about the affair, yeah, I don't, I don't blame myself for the way I behaved, but I definitely do regret it because, although what had happened was horrible, I still think that Sarah had obviously quite a hard time of it all. I'm not condoning what she did by no means whatsoever, but you know, she definitely lost friends and and family and and had to go through quite an ordeal, but all because she, her heart went somewhere else. Um, and I think that's difficult. I, I think it's even more difficult, the fact that, you know, she said I was so terrified standing up there marrying you because 
I guess she she did end up saying, you know, in I, I knew it wasn't right. The things that I had said to her and to him, I look back on now and I, I, I regret with the benefit of hindsight and with the benefit of um, personal growth. With knowing what, yeah, with personal growth for sure. I do regret some of the things definitely that I said, which I won't reveal here, but as you could imagine. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, there is a small element of regret there, but I look back, I, I guess it's just one of those situations that turned out for the best. And what I gained out of it was certainly way more than I lost. That's so beautiful. There's a lot to be learnt from a lot of for a lot of other people out of that situation. It's very humbling. It's it's such a beautiful outcome for such a shitty and hard and traumatic circumstance. Because no one gets married thinking six weeks later they're gonna find out their wife's effectively having an affair. Full power and credit to you, Cameron, for Working through it, and I think I really think it. You've done, you've worked through it in a really kind of quick time. Like it takes people years to get over situations like that. So a couple of years for you to really transform, do the work on yourself, forgive, let go, move forward, be happy. Kudos to you. It, it is only a short time, but I can tell you, it feels like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Cameron. I wish you all the best. I wish you lots of love, lots of happiness. I, my Instagram is going to be blowing up now with women wanting to be able to contact you because <laughs> what a gem, what a gem. He's a great guy. He's good-looking girls. I know it's anonymous, but he's good-looking. <laughs> Thanks very much, Eddie. If it helps someone in, in, in any way, I'm only, only too happy to share. But, no, thank you again for, for having me and thank you for the compliments. I certainly feel that way. <laughs> Got you back, Cameron. Got you back. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much for tuning in. In the aim of serving up interesting and enjoyable content, for the meantime, I've decided to remove the ads. Creating this podcast is a true labour of love, and as it's owned and produced independently, not by a big network like most of the successful shows, there's currently no financial gain in producing it. Each episode can take around 20 hours of prep work before it's released and I pay an audio editor a substantial fee to edit each episode. Therefore, if you love this free content, I would be super appreciative if you could please leave a five-star review for the show. Coming up next week in episode 13, I share how a tragic story of the death of a partner turns into a blossoming and fulfilling romance. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss a drop on Tuesday.